Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Hi, my name is Julie Santoro, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast. I'm a partner in KPMG Impact and our Department of Professional Practice. And today we're going to share with you the themes that we've been seeing in responses to the SEC on its climate proposal. As you know, comments closed on June 17. So I'm going to introduce you to our team as we go through our themes and responses. But first, let me tell you something about the survey that we did. The SEC received over 4,000 unique responses to its climate proposal. We chose 150 of those responses across a a variety of respondents and across a variety of industries. So we looked at professional services firms, um, non-governmental organizations or non-profits, issuers, investor groups and industry groups. We asked a series of targeted questions about the responses and we went through in a small team to do the classifications. It's really important to note that by and large, the discussion in the responses was very qualitative. It did not lend itself to a binary kind of yes, no classification. And therefore, a lot of judgment was used in terms of how we did that classification. The end result of that is a survey that you can download after listening to this podcast. And what we're going to do now is take you through within the team some of the highlights that we found. So to kick us off, I'm going to hand over to Maura Hodge. Many of you, I think, know Maura as our KPMG Impact Audit Leader. Um, Maura, um, over to you to tell us about some of the big picture themes that you were seeing. Thanks, Julie. Let's jump right in. First, I'll start out with the general sentiment on the proposed rule. We've been talking to companies, professional services firms, and standard setters over the past several months. And quite frankly, what we've heard has been all over the board. However, looking at the numbers, there is broad support for standard setting in this area in general. We saw that over 75% were either supportive or very supportive. However, I would caveat that it's not necessarily supportive of the SEC's specific proposed rule, but rather standard setting in general. Second, we looked at the location of the disclosures. As a reminder, the current SEC proposal requires that all disclosures would be filed. However, we found that over 25% of respondents said that they would like at least some of the disclosures furnished. This included a notably high proportion of respondents in both the oil and gas and technology industries. To be clear, approximately 60% of the respondents were silent on this point. We believe and what we've seen is that much of the concern about filing information rather than furnishing it related to the quality of the underlying data, for example, scope three emissions, and also concerns about the adequacy of the safe harbor protections. And third, we considered whether respondents were supportive of a global baseline. This is something that we've been following very closely over the past year with the announcement of the International Sustainability Standard Board and the acknowledgement that different regulatory requirements are popping up all over the world. We noted that most respondents were silent on global baseline disclosures, but a quarter expressed explicit support for the International Sustainability Standards Board. In addition, a third of all respondents expressed support for accepting other disclosure frameworks for U.S. filings, 
with strong support within that group for using ISSB standards, including support for extending that usage to domestic registrants. Again, this is very important for multinational corporations who may be required to meet different standards in different jurisdictions. Having a global baseline allows companies to simplify that reporting process and ensure that the measurement and the reporting are consistent across all of the different jurisdictions. Thanks, Maura. So if Maura has set the stage in terms of the big picture, let's dive a little deeper into specific areas of the proposal. And now I'd like to introduce Micah White. She is going to tell us about the financial statements and our observations there. Yeah, thanks, Julie. As a reminder, as proposed, this includes a footnote disclosure where the impacts of severe weather events, transition activities, and climate-related risks are disclosed when the aggregate absolute value impact is greater than 1% of a financial statement line item or total expense or total capital additions. There are also disclosures required about the impacts on estimates and assumptions, so this is a lot of detail for issuers. And when we consider the disclosures broadly, about 10% of respondents are supportive of including disclosure within the audited financial statements, while approximately a quarter would prefer the information in MDNA. And about 20% oppose climate-related financial impact disclosure wholesale. No surprise that investors tend to be on the side of inclusion in the financial statements, and issuers tend to be opposed or desirous of the information going into MDNA. Most of those opposed to climate-related financial impact disclosure are concerned about things like data availability, the need for detailed systematic or manual tracking, and framework concerns. And by that, I mean the difficulty in defining what impacts need to be captured based on the broad way that the proposal was written. And although some were opposed, they were still captured by us in the survey if they had other suggestions for operability, which brings us to the next point. Of those respondents that discussed the concept of Brightline in their letters, over 90% support the concept of investor materiality as being preferable to a Brightline threshold. This spanned pretty much all categories of respondents, including investors, issuers, professional firms, and industry groups. It also included a wide swath of industry representation. This seems to be the part of the proposal with the most agreement amongst all types of respondents. And finally, just about 50% of all respondents specifically identified operational issues with the SX disclosures in the proposal. As I mentioned, this includes those that are supportive of disclosure in the financial statements, those that are supportive of disclosure in MDNA, and those that are not supportive of disclosure. And about a quarter go on to request more implementation guidance, including a portion of those that specifically point to the FASB. This was obviously a particular interest to issuers, accountants, and industry groups, given they are the most impacted by the practicalities of implementation. In summary, the results on information in the audited financial statements is mixed. It will be really interesting to watch how the Commission considers and incorporates all of the feedback from respondents into a final rule. Thanks, Micah. So that really is a lot to unpack in terms of feelings on the financial statements. Now let's turn it over to Christina Abbott, who's going to tell us some of what we were seeing on the GHG emissions. While some other areas of the proposal had more consistent feedback amongst respondents in terms of how to change the proposed requirement, GHG emissions had a wide variety of changes suggested. About half of the respondents in our survey supported scope one and two disclosures, either in line with the proposal outright or with some changes included in the final rule. Of those supporting the proposal, that group was split about half were issuers and the rest were primarily investor groups or advisors. Those supporting the proposal, as long as certain changes were made, were largely domestic issuers and industry groups. And those industry groups represented mainly real estate and insurance company interests. 
Some of the changes that were suggested included those related to timing. Uh, There were variations of reporting once a year when actual data was available and attestation was complete. And certainly after the annual filings were made and possibly even 180 days or more after year end. Changes from industry groups had varying degrees of specificity around definitional issues, including those related to carbon offsets and renewable energy certificates, as well as the need for safe harbors when using data and tools from the U.S. EPA to calculate scopes of emissions. More respondents had input on the Scope 3 disclosures than Scope 1 and 2, nearly three-quarters in fact. About a third opposed any Scope 3 disclosure, and that spanned all industries in our population. Some of the problems cited included ability to obtain the information and the quality of that data, and most others were only supportive of the Scope 3 disclosures if changes were made in the final rule. Some of those suggested changes included removing the materiality requirement altogether and requiring more companies to disclose Scope 3, while others suggested limiting Scope 3 to only high-emitting industries or allowing use of industry-specific disclosure practices. As it relates to the methods used for determining greenhouse gas emissions, to recap, the organizational boundary was to align with the consolidated financial statements and the methodology was not prescribed by the SEC to allow flexibility. Only about a third of respondents made any comments about the methodology or boundary to calculate emissions. And of those that responded, nearly two thirds supported the greenhouse gas protocol as a methodology specifically. Another common suggestion from preparers was to remove the requirement to obtain information from equity method investees, especially those that were not under operational control. One final point I'll highlight is of respondents that were commenting on attestation requirements related to GHG emissions metrics, nearly three quarters of them supported at least limited assurance. Issuers in the technology industry notably were aligned in suggesting the SEC require only limited assurance of furnished greenhouse gas emissions disclosures. Thanks, Christina. So now let's turn it over to Bryce Earhart. and He's going to look at some of the other observations from the rest of the disclosures and the transition. Thanks, Julie. So what I wanted to do is share a few stats around other areas of the proposal. And I'd actually like to start with their comparability to the recommendations from the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which is referred to as this TCFD. And generally speaking, the SEC's proposed climate rules are aligned with the TCFD recommendations. And a majority of respondents touched on this topic, with over 80% of them supporting this alignment. Uh, This finding actually further supports the general sentiment that Maura mentioned earlier regarding interest in a global baseline. Now, although the respondents were generally supportive of the use of the TCFD, there were still a variety of suggestions to support further alignment. For example, some respondents noted that certain proposed rules were overly prescriptive as compared to a similar requirement within the TCFD recommendations. One of those was the proposed requirement to disclose whether any member of a registrant's board has any sort of climate expertise. And along those same lines, some respondents actually suggested additional disclosures to align more closely with the TCFD. Okay, let's talk about the proposed safe harbor provisions briefly. The SEC has proposed safe harbor provisions around certain forward-looking statements and also around third-party information that is used in Scope 3 GHG reporting. 
Now, about half of respondents touched on this topic, and of those, about 80% supported an expansion of the safe harbor proposals. The suggested context to the expanded applicability really varied, but one of the common themes was that a safe harbor should apply to any reliance on third-party data. So this could include information used in scenario analysis disclosure and all GHG emissions reporting, not just scope three. And lastly, let's discuss timing of any final rule. Some of you may recall that the SEC included an illustration of a phased in transition period in their proposal. And that included an earliest compliance date of 2023 information filed in 2024 for large accelerated filers. Now over half of respondents broached this topic and of those over 90% actually expressed support for extending the compliance date at least one year beyond the illustrative effective date. And generally, respondents were supportive of that phased in transition approach. However, there were still a variety of recommendations to push out particular elements of that phased in approach further than one year, such as the compliance date for scope three reporting, uh, and also when limited assurance of scope one and scope two would be required. Thanks, Bryce. So I know that's a lot of statistics, a lot of information to kind of wrap your heads around. Um, so over back to you, Maura, like, so what do companies do next? So now that we know what the general sentiment around the SEC proposed rules are, and we have some more details on what respondents support and where they suggest the SEC needs more work, the question is, what do I do now? We know that the rule will not be finalized until October of this year, and there's still questions about the effective date. With all of that in mind, I'd like to share four no regrets moves that you can be taking now to help set yourself up for success. It limits the amount of investment you have to make today, but will ensure that you are poised to act as soon as we have more clarity. First, determine how ready you are. You need to assess the current state of your climate reporting. Many companies have actually been doing this for a long time, or have individuals within the organization who have been thinking about this. So start to inventory your 10K, proxy, annual report, your website, or even standalone reports, such as a TCFD report or a CDP response, and compare those against your proposed rules. Identify the gaps and then determine which people, process, and technologies are needed to be implemented to close those gaps. Second, educate your organization including management and the board, not only on the proposed requirements, but the gaps that you just identified in people, process, and technology. Then think about assembling a cross-functional working group and identifying a project manager to manage the effort over the coming weeks, months, and years. Third, start to apply existing process to climate disclosure. You have a financial statement disclosure committee, and you know that this information will now be moved into the financial statement review. So it's a great time to start to socialize that through that process. And lastly, take the next step on your greenhouse gas emissions. If you haven't started, create an inventory and get that going. If you haven't had assurance before, do a readiness assessment on your current process and engage an assurance provider. If you've had limited assurance, start to think about moving to reasonable assurance. So with that, I'll pass it back to Julie to wrap us up. Thanks, Maura, for that summing up. 
So I would just like to close out by saying it's been fascinating having a look through in detail at these responses to the SEC. I would encourage you to download our companion survey and take a more leisurely look through the results that we were finding. And, and don't forget on Financial Reporting View, you can find all of our ESG resources for financial reporting professionals. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we're social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV.